When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time once again for Second Helping on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, alongside my great friend and co-host Brent Beard, College Football Analyst for First Coast News in Jacksonville, Florida. Brent also, of course, a voter in the most prestigious honor in all of collegiate athletics, the Heisman Trophy. And Brent, we're coming off a little bit of a bye week of our own. That doesn't mean there still isn't plenty to talk about. As we typically do here on the program, we'll preview as we review. In some instances, we'll take you back even a couple of Saturdays. But looking forward to a pretty full slate coming up here on this Saturday, Brent. And not all of it, conference action, but certainly the games that are being contested within the league. I would say defining matchups maybe best describes what we've got this week oh yeah uh, alabama and lsu for the west missouri and georgia for the east uh as we turn the page into november right trev and uh you went you win some championships or at least set yourself up for divisional championships during, during this time for a uh what i'm sure will be another fascinating uh Saturday coming up. Yeah, as the days grow shorter in the month of November, so does the list of legitimate contenders in the Southeastern Conference, sort of where the rubber hits the road, where separation truly starts to show up. And we'll get things going on the upcoming Saturday in that noon Eastern window on ESPN2. Arkansas, you talk about an eventful bye week. How about the changes on the offensive side with Dan Enos moving on from that staff, Sam Pittman trying to what feels like rearrange some of the deck chairs a little bit to just get through this season. The hogs in search of their first sec win for Arkansas fans is a little too reminiscent of pre Sam Pittman Mm -hmm. when Arkansas really struggled in the league there for an extended stretch. And then the Florida Gators coming off that disappointing loss in Jacksonville, to rival Georgia. I know you were at the cocktail party. You took that in firsthand. I think for both these teams, you talk about the psyche maybe a little bit first and foremost. Yeah, uh, no doubt. And and I hope this doesn't happen, but Arkansas could be looking at an 0-8 SEC record. And what's so misleading about that is they've lost five of six uh, this year by one possession games. Uh, had chances to beat LSU, Ole Miss, and Alabama, uh, a touchdown or less. Uh, now, some good news. We don't know exactly what that, what this is going to be, but earlier in the week, Sam Pittman said Rocket Sanders uh, practiced Monday and Tuesday and could be available. Um, so that would be uh, a good move. i tell you one thing you pointed out a few months ago. Uh, or even beyond that, was that Pittman would re would had a real chance with his pedigree of restocking that offensive line. 
unfortunately, Tramp, that does not happen. They were 120, yeah. Lord, 120 in the nation in sacks allowed uh, at this point. But they've got some players, don't they? I mean, this uh, Landon Jackson and Trajan Jeffcoat have got to be blocked. Uh, we, we certainly know about uh, K.J. Jefferson and what he's capable of doing. Um, but, boy, what a, what a disappointment for – Florida and that and that loss to Georgia also lost Shamir James to a dislocated kneecap and how awful that that sounds. Played well in the beginning. They got cute with their play calling with Georgia, and instead of going north and south, they went east and west, uh, and they paid for it. Uh, which we knew Georgia was a more physical team, but. Traveling in the press box, there were still a lot of Gator beat riders shaking their heads, saying, "Is uh, Billy Napier really the answer for this football team?" Yeah, especially from a play caller standpoint. Yes. I think that's the biggest issue Florida people, Florida observers, have with that football team. It was this. It was the start Florida needed in that game. Yeah, no doubt about it. Get out to the early lead, look good in doing it. Uh, but then I think also Georgia's roster kind of took over. Yep. I thought you still saw the separation between those two teams in terms of overall talent. Napier has tried to patch work some things, especially on that offensive line. Uh, it's going to take a little more time for that program to get to that level of Georgia. So if you think you're going to you know, line up player for player right now and, and win a game like that, I kind of get where Napier would try to do some maybe different things, some unique unique things. But when you're in short yardage situations, that's not the time to get cute with things. And that's what happened for Florida in that game and Georgia. From that point forward, really boat race the Gators. And you talk about potential outcomes of the season for Arkansas. Well, I tell you, Florida better get the sixth win on Saturday. Yep. Because you look at what's next for the Gators. You got what? LSU on the road, Missouri on the road, Florida State at home. Yes. Really need to go ahead and sew up bowl eligibility uh, against an Arkansas team. Uh, Obviously uh, not playing great football. Florida really uh, uh, needs to, uh, um, uh, and, and they need to get a resurgence in their defense. Uh, they thought they played uh, would play better. That just did not happen uh, against Georgia, but and we understand that. Uh, but boy, uh, uh, Florida needs to get into a bowl. Uh, I tell you, Trav, uh, it would do them good to play uh, maybe in the Gator Bowl where they'd have a good crowd. Uh, in they, but but Florida doesn't need to play. Uh, a Louisville or someone like that. They need to play in Iowa. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that uh, a, a team they can keep up with and 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 they can very well beat. I'll tell you how old I am. I saw Florida and Iowa in a Gator Bowl yep. about 40 years ago. I think yeah. it is now. It was it was an unusually frigid night in Jacksonville, Florida, <laughs> when Hayden Fry. Yes. And the Hawkeyes. I believe that was Charlie Pell's Gators. Maybe mm-hmm. yeah. Maybe before Galen Hall, before Charlie had to step aside. But, oof, that's bringing back some memories, Brent. Also in that noon Eastern window on Saturday, ESPN, Texas A&M coming off a much-needed home win over South Carolina last Saturday. 
will host the Ole Miss Rebels. Ole Miss at 7-1, and 4-1 and one in the SEC. Very much interested in the outcome in Tuscaloosa coming up on Saturday night are the Rebels. But first, you know, this isn't a great matchup in some ways, I'd say, for Ole Miss. Ole Miss wants to run the football first and foremost. We know Texas A&M excels in that area, typically anyway, on the defensive side. So uh, this is a dangerous game. I think for Ole Miss, as much as anything, you talk about trick or treat and Halloween uh, and things like that. You you just don't know what you're going to get from Texas A&M on a week to week basis either. Boy, you really don't. And, and one matchup here is that Ole Miss run defense is 53, and that A&M run offense is 122. Travis, how in the world did that happen? A&M's uh, offensive line. They've got young backs, but they're talented at A&M. Yes. Yes. But that, that offensive line, you talk about if Jimbo stays, if he stays around, I think that's another area where he's going to have to look and seriously consider some changes uh, at that spot, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and this Ole Miss team, the only team in Power 5 that have three receivers with 500-plus yards, Trey Harrison and Dayton Wade have really uh, stepped up with this, too. And, and uh uh, I think my question for Ole Miss, Trev, is Ole Miss between the ears. You remember last year, uh, what was about the time they went into a tailspin, uh, they've got a real opportunity this time. <laughs> my biggest question to you, too, Lane poking the bear here in oh, he uh, yeah. his press conference. So, Trev, my question to you is how uh, how short – Will that pre-game and post-game handshake be between the two head coaches? Yeah, it might be like an air high five or something. <laughs> It'd be a might be a COVID handshake, yeah, you know, from the COVID era. No, I, it's Lane can't help himself. He, you know, he loves can't. to loves to have fun uh, with those opposing coaches, especially Texas A&M. It seems like yes. of late, but again, this is a capable A&M team. Max Johnson yes. not going to be put off or unsettled in a road environment, which certainly should be raucous. I think what helps A&M a little bit in this matchup too, is that it is early 11 a.m. local time. So the Grove isn't going to be as much of an impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, that fan base isn't going to have much of the day to get primed and ready for this one. I think that could be beneficial for Texas A&M. Although with the Aggies, sometimes even in primetime games, you wonder if the alarm clock went off. You know, oh, they, yeah. they, they, they've had that kind of hit and miss sort of starts to games. But I think it's going to be a fun one. I think it's going to be hotly contested. Uh, I think I like Ole Miss by a little bit at home. But again, we get into these tiebreaker scenarios, potentially in the SEC West. Uh, I think for for Ole Miss, it's it's still got games like this, games like Georgia coming up uh, realistically. Uh, yeah, it, it's hard to envision the Rebels being there at the end, but you know, keep taking care of business, and you never know. Also at noon Eastern, a lot of noon games, right, this yeah. week in the SEC. Battle of the Gamecocks, Rich Rod, Jacksonville State head coach Rich Rodriguez, going to take his team at 7-2, and 5-1 and one in its first year in Conference USA to take on a seriously struggling South Carolina team. Well, you talk about narratives changing on a dime, it seems really? like, these days. The one involving Shane Beamer. And what about coaches in the state of South Carolina in general? 
<laughs> this football season. You got Dabo going off on Tyler from Spartanburg yeah. on his call-in yeah. show the other night. Beamer's <laughs> kicking coolers, breaking his foot. Man, these guys, uh, these guys are a little overly amped, I'd say. Uh, and Trev, right now, Jack State is playing really well. Very well. Uh, and I give Rich Rod a lot of credit. Now, he took a gamble on this with um, the um, – uh, the attendance in the stadium, but how much airtime have they gotten at the midweek? That they've yeah, been Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Absolutely, yeah. uh, I, which I think is tremendous. It, one of the silliest things the NCAA is doing is preventing some of these teams from going to bowl games. Uh, who are this transition that. phase? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I, and. South Carolina's defense right now, 106 of 130. Now, look, uh, we're, we're still talking about SEC players for South Carolina, but, Trav, it doesn't have to do much to use your imagination here. What in the world is that reaction going to be if, let's say, Jack State clips them in the fourth quarter mm. uh, and, and their defense just disappears late in the game like you did against Florida. Yeah, it, it's one thing if you lose the Mayor's Cup for the best team yeah. in Columbia, like Columbia, Missouri, Columbia, South Carolina, but you can't lose a matchup of the Gamecocks. I mean, you got to be the better of the two Gamecocks if you're South Carolina, and that is a scenario I think Shane Beamer would rather not consider. Ooh. And as you said, watching Jacksonville State because of when they have played their games for the most part, over the last month, uh, it's easy to see that this could be a dangerous game for Carolina. An early kickoff, sleepy early kickoff mm-hmm. in Columbia, South Carolina on Saturday to keep an eye on as well. Also at noon Eastern on Saturday, more non-conference action involving an SEC team on the SEC network. Tennessee coming off an impressive win, given the circumstances, the collapse really in the second half of the loss to Alabama a week earlier where the Vols were dominated 27 to nothing over the third and fourth quarters to bounce back on the road against a rival in Kentucky and get that win says a lot says as much to me about the direction of that program under Josh Heupel as about anything else we've seen to this point by game coming up for the Vols with UConn visiting at one and seven Feel-good opportunity for Tennessee to get the seven wins and continue to put itself in a good position where postseason play is concerned. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, not saying they're going to win, but Tennessee hosts Georgia in a few weeks, which can absolutely uh, help them in bowl positioning at that point. They'll, they'll beat UConn, who's one in seven, uh, easily, uh, too. But, and, and I'll say this. I watched most of that uh, Kentucky-Tennessee game, Trav, after getting back from uh, Georgia-Florida, and Kentucky played one of their better games, or at least Devin Leary did. We'll get into that yeah. in a minute. Uh, and Tennessee still was able to win because of that running game. So, and, and listen, you talked about this earlier in the year, that they would have to run the ball well, but Jalen Wright – uh, had 120 out of their 238. So one thing Bama didn't let them do in the second half was run the ball. Uh, Kentucky did. 
So uh, an easy win over UConn is they slowly get ready for the dogs to come up and visit them in a few weeks. Yeah, I like that. I like where UConn falls here on the schedule for Tennessee. You know, you go through a pretty grueling stretch that includes Alabama on the road, Kentucky on the road. I think that's a good spot for this game, especially with what you talked about uh, still to come for this Tennessee team on the schedule. So, uh, yeah, good spot for the Huskies uh, in Tennessee this week. 3.30 Eastern, the first game of a CBS doubleheader this week. Missouri at 7-1, and 3-1 in the SEC, takes its shot at the reigning champs, the Georgia Bulldogs at 8-0. 5-0 in the SEC, Georgia coming off that dominant performance over Florida in Jacksonville. Well, Missouri in a spot I don't think any of us anticipated going into the season, kind of figured that it would be Tennessee, and we'll still find out, right? I mean, we still got some games to play in the East that are going to ultimately determine that pecking order. Uh, but for now, anyway, Missouri's going to try to do something that Kentucky wasn't close to being able to do a few weeks ago in Athens. And then as we saw from Florida last week, not up to Georgia standards. How competitive do you think Missouri can be in this game Saturday, Brent? Well, I, I think a lot of it's going to be turned by their defense. And I give Eli Drink before I credit. That's something he has uh, looked at and uh, in, in, uh, has, has built. So I think they could be in the game for a while. Um, but look, you know good well that Kirby has talked all week long uh, about Brady Cook, uh, and Cody Schrader, and especially Luther Burden. Uh, now, Burden may break out, but he is going to be a a marked man. And I think what we saw in Jacksonville was a maturing Georgia team. Boy, certainly with Carson back getting better, the running backs are finally getting healthy and they're running the ball um, a little bit better. Lad McConkey comes back at a good time. Um, also, uh, but you've got Georgia's uh, pass offense at number seven and Missouri's pass defense is 79th. Look, my, my big thing with this is this is the biggest game for Missouri, frankly, in a decade, uh, was when they went back to back trip to the SEC championship game. Uh, so what I'm wondering is, Trav, will the spotlight be uh, be way too bright for the Tigers uh, on Saturday? Because uh, this first game for Missouri in 10 years, Georgia has one of these games, what, about three times a season? Yeah, this is an every week occurrence for Georgia at this point in terms of being under the microscope, being on the big stages Missouri, I like that Brady Cook has played not only a lot of football for that team at this point in his career, he's played well. And I do think in each area, they have some guys like Schrader running the football, like Burden catching it. You're talking about a couple of 1,000-yard seasons for those guys. Schrader's going to go for 1,000 before it's all said and done as a back. Burden's going to go over the 1,000-yard receiving mark. Still, you got to win matchups up front. And kind of like Kentucky and Florida before them, I just don't see Missouri having enough of those kind of guys. I think for Missouri, what needs to happen is Georgia to revert back to some of the slow starts that we've seen. That will 
that will define everything, I think, in this game. If Georgia gets off to even a decent start, I think this game is going to be pretty decisive, not too deep into the football game on Saturday in Athens. Four o'clock Eastern on the SEC Network Saturday, Auburn travels to Nashville, fresh off its first SEC win of the Hugh Freeze era. A couple of touchdown defeat over the Mississippi State Bulldogs last Saturday at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Vanderbilt still in search of that first SEC win. We need Vandy and Arkansas maybe to play each other this yeah. year uh, to yeah. kind of prevent potentially a couple of teams in the league going winless. Yeah, boy. Uh, uh, and Vandy had just really been in a spiral. We had a little bit of hope for them early on, uh, but they may be going to an 0-8. Uh, and Arkansas, unfortunately, may be doing the same thing. Uh, it, it, you mentioned the quarterback situation. I mean, they've gone from A.J. Swan to Ken Seals, and now they've got a kid named Walter Taylor the third. that is a, a behemoth, I understand. Uh, He's 6'6", six, 6'7"? Six, six, yeah, 6'7", yeah. 235, Trav. How about wow. that? <laughs> but the reality is, for Hugh Freeze, is Hugh finally stopped the uh, – uh, the quarterback merry-go-round <laughs> ended up with Peyton Thorne, who frankly played better. Uh, now, but here's the thing. Auburn's got a pretty easy schedule coming up the rest of the year uh, until they get to Alabama. Uh, the beat writers would tell you that uh, this could be an Auburn team end up six and six or seven and five and go to a bowl, which uh, during that losing streak they had a few weeks ago, uh, would that be considered progress for uh, Hughes first year? Yeah, I think a bowl game is, is progress is a good thing for Auburn in year one under Hugh freeze. Um, you know, I'm going to take the passing game improvement with a grain of salt, because I think we both know that when you look at Mississippi state defensively, that is the area that you want to get after for the Bulldogs is more the back end. I will say this, Jarquez Hunter going for a buck 44 against that state defense. Uh, that says something to me. It that's, does. That's impressive. And so, look, Auburn goes to Nashville. We'll find out a little bit about the character of this Auburn team coming off that win over Mississippi State. It's a game Auburn should win uh, at Vanderbilt, but. I don't think we're at the point in Freeze's turnaround of this program where, and I heard him talk about it earlier in the week too, he's scared to death uh, of Auburn. Yeah. And I, I think he's hoping that his team not picks up on fear or anything like that, but understands that you know it is not at a point where it can take uh, a team like the Commodores for granted. Hey, let's also get into a little bit of that 730 window, that primetime window, before we get to the centerpiece of Saturday's action in the SEC. Kentucky trying to stop the spiral at this point at 5-3, and 2-3 three, and three in the league after its latest loss to t- Tennessee last Saturday night. Kind of the same situation for Mississippi State. Um, I guess if you're Kentucky, we talked about it with Auburn and Thorne having success against Mississippi State's past defense. Uh, you said it, Leary for Kentucky 
putting up some big numbers in that loss to Tennessee. Might we see some carryover for the Cats in that regard in this matchup with the Bulldogs? Yeah, I think I think that's very possible. Uh, they had a week off before they played Tennessee, and Liam Cohen, the offensive coordinator, uh, worked with Leary uh, uh, during that time, and he looked much better. Um, as a matter of fact, he looked like the quarterback that we saw from time to time uh, in NC State. Uh, so that 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 was certainly some improvement. And uh, if they get a win here, that that will be six wins, so they'll be able to go to a bowl game. I tell you what, Trav, and and we'll, we'll talk about it next week. But this Kentucky team continu- continues to play well. That could be a, a bit of a trap game for Alabama. I mean, after the, if they have an emotional win or loss against LSU and then go to Lexington, uh, that that could be some difficulty. But uh, we'll, we'll get into that more next week. But on the other hand, boy, what does Zach Cornett do at uh, Mississippi State? I mean, this offense has been uh, terrible. Will Rogers has been out at quarterback with a – uh, a shoulder injury. They played Mike Wright, uh, the transfer from Vandy. Woody Marks uh, has been banged up a good bit, too. Um, you know, that there's a couple things going on here. We're nearing the uh, uh, the one-year anniversary of Mike Leach's death Yeah, that's coming up. Uh, and, uh, Trev, I just wonder, and I guess it will pay off next year, if Arnett had to do it over again, would would he have stayed in the air raid uh, with Will, Will Rogers because Rogers knew that offense like the back of his hand and was successful with it in, instead of doing what he's done this year and going to a more conventional offense that obviously has not worked at all. Yeah, it's a tough one because you're working on the assumption that you're going to have some time to go through that transition. But in today's game, we know that that can run out quickly depending on wins and losses. And I think urgency is the word for both of these teams in this game as far as bowl eligibility. Because you look at Kentucky with five wins, you think, ah, it's, you know, it's first of November. They'll They'll get the six. Well, you got Alabama coming up. Yeah. Uh, then you got a road trip to South Carolina that I don't think will be a gimme. Right. And then with Jeff Brom now at Louisville, Oof. that end of the Oof. season bloodletting with yes. the in-state Cardinals isn't a gimme. So I think Kentucky really needs to take care of that this week before what it has coming up on the schedule. And for Mississippi State to have any chance of that in the first full season of Zach Arnett, Really need to get a win of its own this Saturday in Starkville. Hey, let's talk about 745 Eastern in the second game of that CBS doubleheader. You know, I've been asked about this rivalry for LSU and Alabama, especially over the last decade and a half or so. And I think you can kind of measure it by primetime games on CBS. Because you can go back to like Tennessee, Florida. As we talked about here on the podcast in the past, that used to be that game in the SEC when you had Spurrier, when you had Fulmer at those programs. But that game, since really 2008, 2009 or so, has been in the league. It's been Alabama LSU, and it's one of the things when you think about the new SEC moving forward with Oklahoma and Texas coming in and the 
schedule formatting still to be determined. You don't want to see it go away on an annual basis, Brent. No, no. And, and the big question is going to be, will LSU be one of the permanent rivalries <clears throat> that Alabama will have? Um, I, I think in looking at this game, um, uh, the, the two things that obviously stick out would be the LSU injuries, losing Kai Wingo, their defensive yeah. tackle, uh, this week. And they've got Jordan Jefferson, Paris Shan, and, and Brandon Swinson. So they've got that they don't have a lot of experience, but they've got athletes uh, as, as usual in that secondary. Zy Alexander getting hurt against Army. He's going to be out for a while, too. And they've got a lot of redshirt freshmen and freshmen who are going to play. Uh, but then you've also got, obviously, the big story uh, is not the Alabama quarterback, but Jaden Daniels uh, and all that he can do with his legs and with his arm and and how dangerous they are uh, with, the, with those NFL-type wide receivers. Uh, they've certainly picked up the pace. Uh, in the running game, too. So uh, going to be an incredible game in a lot of ways. I don't think Bama needs to get into a track meet, uh, a 45-42 type thing. Um, and again, uh, Trav, what do we see in this team? Do we see uh, another slow start against Tennessee? And then do we, we see them... Uh, come out in the second half or at some point in the game and play as well as they did in that 27 and nothing. So uh, isn't there just enough doubt here probably in the, in, in the, in the minds of Bama fans and media as to which team that you'll see at what time on Saturday night? Well, it's a three point line, you know, Alabama's a three point favorite at Bryant Denny stadium. So that kind of tells you, that the public in Vegas anyway, see this as pretty much a dead even matchup. I yep. think as much as we're going to talk about and understandably so the passing attacks for both of these teams, especially where explosive play capability is concerned. I'm telling you, man, I think the quarterback running back dynamic, especially for LSU is something that I'll be focused on because yeah. Yeah, it, there's this perception that in last year's game, Daniels just lit up Alabama, throwing the football, running the football, really throwing it. That wasn't the case. I don't, I don't think LSU averaged more than six yards per pass attempt right. in that game last season. But where LSU was really problematic, not just with Daniels either, but those three backs from last year combined for 87 yards on the ground to go along with Daniels. 95 rushing yards. So yeah. when it was all said and done, LSU rushed for nearly 200 yards in that game. And that's what went a long way in Brian Kelly getting his first win over Nick Saban in Alabama. And I think it's could very well come down to that once again, not just for LSU, but for Alabama as well. Jalen Milrow with his legs potentially, but Jace McClellan is playing good running the football effectively of late. So maybe even more so for Alabama, need to be good on the ground because that can help you control things from an overall perspective. Uh, and, Trav, how important is it with that week off uh, that, it, that it is apparent 
this may be the healthiest Bama has been since early in the season. And I think that's huge in this game because, you know, we talked about the situation with LSU and understanding that defensive backfield now is decimated in terms of availability for whatever reason, uh, especially at the corner position. But Wingo to me is huge because that, that hurts LSU in a couple different ways. I also think when I talk about the LSU run game, I think Alabama has evolved on its defensive front, right? Last yeah. year going into this yes. game, it didn't have a sort of ascending interior player like it has. And Tim Keenan, Jaheim Otis, Tim Smith's playing good football up front. Justin Aboigby didn't play in this game a year ago. He is certainly a, a big-time contributor on that defensive line. And then also Deontay Lawson. You know, he wasn't available in Baton right. Rouge last year. And he's having an all-league type of season at inside linebacker. So the star power... I think is going to be on display, no doubt about that, starting with Jaden Daniels. And then you get into those wide receivers, neighbors, uh, Thomas. Uh, Logan Diggs is just out of his mind right now running the football in SEC play. Uh, But I think Alabama, not just in terms of the, the physical attributes it has on defense, but maybe even more so maturation. You know, that was a team to me that didn't play with poise, especially on defense in the second half and overtime of that game last year. I think that will go a long way in Alabama potentially being in a better place when this one's over. Well, in a quick example of that, on the two-point conversion that won the game, I think a Kevin Steele-type defense, Trav, would have would have not given Jaden Daniels a clear path and a clear picture to throw that ball. I, I think there would have been some heat on him, and he may have had to make a, a decision faster than he wanted to. I think that might be the difference between the defense this year and last year. Could be, no doubt about it. I, I just think, yeah, from a, from a maturation and poise standpoint, even though that defense last year was experienced, that was a veteran Alabama defense. Mm-hmm. They didn't always play like it in the no. two losses to Tennessee and LSU. Well, Brent, before we get out of here, I know you wanted to talk and I wanted to talk about the passing of Bob Knight, legendary college basketball coach, iconic, really. I mean, when I think about my generation, our generation, and you think about those people and not just collegiate sports, but sports in general, Bob Knight goes hand in hand with that sort of conversation. Well, he does. Uh, and, and frankly, Bob Knight reminds me a lot of my father's generation and grandfather. And I, and, and I certainly knew your grandfather and your grandfather and my father were a lot alike. And these were men who, uh, they were smart. They provided for their family. Uh, they were very disciplined, uh, either through the military or maybe from their father. Uh, and uh, that discipline, which sometimes um, they looked like and they came off as being very harsh, um, but it was basically that, um, they weren't really interested in making everybody happy. Uh, but when you look at the bottom line uh, for a Bob Knight, people are going to talk about him being a bully at times and how he dealt with the media. But 
the thing I'm looking at here is the number of championships that he won and that he made people better people. His, his players that stuck with him were, I, I mean, they, uh, he was a beloved figure in their mind. Uh, he did it the right way. Uh, he didn't cheat. Uh, you either wanted to play for him or, or not. Uh, you certainly were going to play defense or you weren't going to play. Uh, and uh, they, it's not one of his former players said last night, we would play at Iowa, got back at two in the morning, and he demanded that we be at class at eight or nine. There wasn't, <laughs> there wasn't any, any sleeping in uh, at that point. So, um, Obviously, he was very tight with Coach K uh, in their relationship. Um, but, but Trav, I, I just see in him things that I admire greatly with what he was able to do. Knight was like, help me on this, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, he was a lot bigger yeah. and intimidated people uh, by that way. And look, I know there were times he was not a good individual. Uh, it was disappointing, his relationship with any administration at times. And, and I understand that. They didn't understand him, uh, and they didn't particularly want to be able to do that. But I just wanted to take a minute and, and share. Uh, and look, if you want to get the football equivalent of that, I mean, you know, you, you can look at uh, Bear Bryant, you can look at Nick Saban, uh, and there are a bunch of more that that, that we could list. But but uh, even in a, in a football preview and review weekend, Travis, I wanted uh, uh, for us to comment a little bit on Bob Knight. Yeah, you talk about formative years for a sports fan. That was me with uh, those Indiana teams and uh, really before the time I reached 20 years of age, it was largely about guys like Bob Knight, Dean Smith, Shashevsky was sort of blossoming through that run as well. Just getting things going there at Duke as a protege, a disciple of Bob Knight. And that's something else you look at too, is you know, who come, who has come oh. from these trees Right. Uh, of coaches like Bob Knight and Nick Saban with Kirby Smart and guys like that. There's always at least one that seems like moving forward changes the landscape in some type of way. So, yeah, Knight went overboard. Yeah, he went over the line at times. But if you ever have a chance and you have not read the book, uh, A Season on the Brink by yes. John Feinstein, that yes. essentially Feinstein was embedded with Indiana for a full basketball season. You need to read that. Uh, it's exceptional. I've probably read it three or four times. I'll probably read it again. Uh, but night, no doubt, synonymous with uh, excellence on the court, synonymous with a polarizing figure off of it, to put it mildly, I think. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, my one wish for him would have been that he could have stayed above it because yeah. it got to the point where it almost felt like it became a contest to see who could get him yeah. to cross the line to a point where, you know, it was a, a difficult situation for him. He wasn't always able to do that. But I'll go back to what you said too, sort of the testimonies that you've seen from his former players in the last 12 to 18 hours. And, 
what we've heard from the likes of Jay Billis and others who didn't even play for him but interacted with Bob Knight on a pretty personal basis. And a lot of the things that Bob Knight did for folks, not just prominent folks, but everyday folks that proved helpful to them, uh, I, I think that paints more the picture, too, when we talk about uh, Robert Montgomery Knight. And, and Trav, real quick, um, do you think he healed some wounds in his return? Uh, was it last year? Uh, yeah. Uh, IU. It, it, yes, that, that he was on the court. The fans gave him a standing ovation. Many of the former players were there. Was was that a bit of a healing process for the two? I think so, and I, I think it was very appropriate uh, that he passed away. Yeah, in Bloomington, Indiana. Yeah, you know, not Lubbock, Texas, where he went on to Texas Tech and uh, had some success there too. Was beloved during a short stint um, with the Red Raiders, but no, he was he was a Hoosier, and I understand he he played college basketball at Ohio State, all those things. Uh, but when I think of IU, not just from a basketball perspective, but from an institutional perspective, I think of Bob Knight. No question. Well, Brent, it's been a lot of fun as always. Thank you for your great insight. And as we take a look at the upcoming week of SEC football, looking forward to it. Defining Saturday coming up in the top league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. We'll talk about it again next week, Brent. Can't wait, but always enjoy it. Glad you're back, and uh, we will uh, look forward to a incredibly critical November, uh, one way or another, for for all these SEC teams. Yeah, they remember November. That's right. When it comes to college football, no doubt about it. For Brent Beard, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again for joining us right here on Second Helping on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Until next time, so long, everybody. <laughs>